This week, the troubled state of digital journalism and what's likely to happen next. It's been a bleak few weeks of headlines out of the digital publishing world. We have uh, Mike.com essentially basically shutting down, selling itself for a pittance of what it was valued at and laying off its staff. We had the publisher of BuzzFeed talking about the need for a roll-up of all a lot of the digital publishing sites. And there's just a lot of dark headlines about what's likely to come next. Lower revenue, more layoffs, even more places shutting down. So obviously the best place, the best person to talk to about this is Matthew Ingram, who's CJR's chief digital writer. Matthew, welcome. Thanks for having me. So um, before I we get into this, I just, you know, I, I have such flashbacks from all this. I was at a um, startup at the sort of peak of the last tech boom. It was in 1999. It was called Inside.com. And it was a um, entertainment um, and sort of publishing trade magazine on the web. David Carr worked there. Kim Masters worked there. Sarah Bartlett, who now runs CUNY, worked there. It was amazing. We were funded primarily by venture money, I think like $20 million in venture money. And we blew through it in about two years. And then we were gone. And um, this is this all rings so familiar to me. Um, and And I have such sympathy for the reporters and editors who were at these places because I remember at that time thinking, I am at the crest of a wave that's going to go on forever. Um, I'm probably going to get rich. But even if I wasn't, um, it was going to be an amazing ride, and we were going to replace uh, the New York Times. Do you remember Inside.com? Yeah, I do. And I remember what happened. And I know you and I have talked about this before. I have similar memories. I worked for a San Francisco-based blog network called GigaOM uh, that shut down in a very similar way to Mike, um, suddenly announced we're closing, uh, we're going to change the locks, uh, you've got until tomorrow morning to hand in your laptop, and if you get a couple weeks of severance, you'll be lucky. <clears throat> uh, thanks very much. And, and when was that? What year was that? That was 2000 15. So it was, I feel like it was a, an early indicator of what was coming. At least it felt that way to me. Yeah. Um, so you're not, you're not surprised by, by all of this? Not at all. No. Um, I'm surprised by, <laughs> I'm surprised by how much money uh, VCs have been willing to give to these companies. That's what surprises me. But yeah. I mean, I've I've equated that, you know, I grew up in Texas and I and I was around the oil business a bit. And it, it feels like that. It reminds yeah. me of that. Yeah. I mean, the basically okay. the business model is you deal you you drill 10 holes in the ground. Nine of them are going to be complete duds. Yeah. And one is going to be so amazing that it's going to pay for the other nine. And you just yeah. and and the poor holes 1 through 9 don't know. <laughs> Don't know the that figures. that's their yeah. that's their role, but yeah. that's sort of the way it works. And I remember writing about the oil and gas industry in in Canada, and very similar. And in many cases, you have these companies that get a gusher and they hire 
a billion people and then they become this massive thing and then eventually they just collapse and die and fire everybody and then some other you know new gusher hires everybody it feels like that in digital media too these things keep shutting down and then people get jobs at other ones and then they shut down and this one person i follow on twitter said you know she she just got laid off and she'd only been there nine months and she'd before that she'd been laid off by some other place yeah it just seems to be happening faster and faster yeah there was a i thought margaret sullivan had a terrific piece in the washington post quoting some Mike people, and they're like, you know, I mean, if you're a, if you're a young journalist, um, that's you know, a lot of these people, this is the, the this kind of being whipsawed around from one place to yeah. another. That's the only that's their only yeah. uh, reference point that they have, and it, it's tough. So, and what's, what, so uh, what's I'm sorry, really go ahead. Frustrating is to, you know, is to some a lot of these journalists produced great work, like a lot yeah. of, you know, a lot of the stuff that Mike published um, was. Excellent, and you know these—they're trying to do their best, and and they're producing great, high-quality work, and it just doesn't matter. They, yeah. The company runs out of money, and that's that. So when you're when we're in a moment like this, especially if I mean I I, I agree with the um, unfortunately I agree with the projections that it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, everybody wants to everybody wants to find the villain in the story here. So. Um, <laughs> Who do you? Is there a villain, or are there a number of villains, or how do you how do you look at it? I mean, to me, I, I, you know, villain is a is a harsh word, but I I think when it comes to um, blame, I feel as though a lot of the VC firms that have put these huge sums of money into companies like Mike have to bear a lot of the blame. I mean, they, you know, they're supposed to be sophisticated financial analysts they're supposed to have an understanding of markets they're supposed to you know have all sorts of investments in different things that that lead them to believe they understand a specific market and then they they give you know people like mike's founders 80 million dollars and and for what i mean at what point should they have understood what was happening or and in, not just that but did they Sort of what sort of things did they push the company to do? And you see a lot of this in what sort of former employees are talking about. What kind of alleged strategies did they push them towards just to try and get them to grow quickly enough to to grow into what was just a, a ridiculously overvalued valuation? But if you're, you know, Going back to this oil drilling analogy, I mean, if if the, if the business that they're in is to sort of, you know, plant these seeds everywhere, not knowing which one is actually going to right. grow, um, why is that their fault? So it's not. I mean, that strategy is not. It's obviously lots of lots of other industries do that too. The music industry is very similar, um, but I think it's what you sort of to what extent do they push. Mike to do things that oh. ultimately killed it. Mm-hmm. So, to what extent did they were they the ones who said, "Look, you've got to grow faster." Facebook is pushing into video. You have to go all in on video, mm-hmm. or you have to do more clickbait. I mean, your traffic just isn't high enough. You've got to got to get more uniques, and you've got to get more. So that strategy arguably helped kill the company. Now I don't know whether 
VCs said, look, you have to do this. So to some extent, it's a codependent relationship. Right. You know, the, I mean, that's why I thought it was... The company want to grow quickly. VCs want it to grow quickly. They start doing things that seem to make sense, but ultimately effectively kill the company. Well, and that's why I thought, you know, we're, we're starting this conversation with both of our experience in this world is instructive because, you know, the the publishing companies that are receiving this VC money, they're not the first publishing companies on earth to get VC money. And all you got to right. do is you got to look at, you know, if you look at the recent history of how that, it didn't work out for most, well for most people, right? So I don't, um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it's a, it's complicated. I mean, um, I mean, again, like I feel really terrible for all the the reporters here, and I think there's even. I mean, I'm very sensitive to this. I, I do think that there can be, especially on social media, kind of gleefulness about this kind of stuff mm-hmm. that I don't think is very cool. Um, no. But I, on the other hand, I do. I mean, I, I I'm sort of annoyed at the management of these places. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like if you take this money, you if you do just an iota of due diligence, you must realize the path that right. you're going to find yourself in. And it, it does feel like there's plenty of blame to go around. I mean, it feels to me as though, you know, Mike's founders and the founders of lots of other companies have, have just been completely unrealistic about their business. And in fact, in some cases, ignorant of what they should do or what other companies have done or what the theoretical outcomes of a particular strategy might be. But I do feel as though VC, the the mix, like media is just fundamentally not a good thing to put venture capital money into, I don't think, depending on who the VC is. But traditionally, VCs are looking for, you know, 10 times their money. That's just not something that media companies are going to produce. I think there was a window of time at which within which people thought that that could be possible. So BuzzFeed, I think, grew on based on that assumption vice did as well but i just don't think that's realistic and never has been you know what whose voice we haven't heard in all this is the vc people like that'd be a good story right like let's get one of these guys on the line (laughs) and like see if they'll fess up to this yeah it would be if they if we could get one that would be great i just feel like they're hunkered down at this point right it's a free a free story tip (laughs) to whoever's listening so what do you think is going to happen now to to these these companies to to the ones that i mean the rest of the these uh, digital media players you know the who, who did jonah peretti talk about um in his he talked about Refi- refinery 29 he talked about vox yeah uh who, who else was on the list of people that he was talking about may need to do some kind of combination those are the two i remember oh. did he mention vice i can't remember I don't know, but but so do you think the likelihood of some significant roll-up of these is is high? Well, it feels like in, in a way as though Brian Goldberg at Bustle is doing that, but he's rolling them up after they die. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's the grave dancer or whatever you want to call it. You know, he's just buying up cheap assets. Um, I honestly don't. <clears throat> I don't think that the kind of thing Joan is talking about. Is is a a good idea, and B, I don't think it would work. Why? Um, you just because instead of having one troubled company, you'll have five. Right, <clears throat> and also, in order to achieve this, is like a roll up in any industry. Um, you know, eighty or ninety percent of mergers uh, fail. Yeah. 
um, because they just don't produce the kinds of synergies that that the salesmen say they're going to when they promote them. The, it's just an incredible, incredibly huge amount of work to merge companies and then find those synergies. And, I, and media is sort of hard enough as it is without having to add all that stuff on top of it. Mm-hmm. So is there um, is there anything that could happen you know, externally or in the ad market or, um, I don't know, that, that, that could sort of arrest what seems to be sort of a free fall here? I, I wish I could think of something, but, I mean, I can't see any, you know, sort of uh, silver lining. It doesn't feel as though there's something we're missing that's going to produce a significant enough return to make a difference to these companies. Mm. Um, you know, subscriptions is, is probably going to help. An events business helps. You know, partnerships and syndication help and selling your CMS or whatever and all the things that the Washington Post and other companies are doing. But, but at the end of the day, these companies are just, I think most of them are just too big. Right. You know, they raise too much money and they hired too many people. And it's just going to be a slow kind of death of a thousand cuts for most of them, it feels to me. I also think that there was a failure to differentiate their brands and their journalism. I mean, a lot of these places, I have a hard time distinguishing one from the other. Um, and that's not that's not a good place to be um, in, in media. Today. Right. Especially when you're trying to do, <clears throat> if you're trying to do something like subscriptions, for example, you have to have a really, really clear-cut value proposition. Like you have to have either such a killer brand, you know, that, that people are just begging to give you money, like the New York Times, or you have to have such a specific thing that you're offering that is so unique. And, and to your point, that is not that does not describe a lot of the companies that we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when I, I started – at CJR before the elect, just before the election, um, and I, you know, I and I had, before Trump was elected, I sort of thought this whole question of the business model of journalism and the future of companies like this, as well as the New York Times and Washington Post, I, th- I thought that was going to be the sort of dominant story for us and for media in general. And then Donald Trump was elected, and everything changed, and all these other issues came. But but I, I think we're sort of like this reckoning was sort of put off by a combination of this VC money that was floating around and and then this sort of surge in um, subscriptions for other places. But I think now we're back to where we all thought we were going to be, which is that you know there's a you know it's just it, it's incredibly it's incredibly foggy in terms of uh, who's going to pay for all this stuff. Yeah, and I, I do feel as though there was a a kind of Trump bump in a way for a lot of places, whether it's traffic-wise or subscription-wise. And there was still some sort of lingering Facebook, you know, traffic drivers for lots of people until that effectively vanished. So Mm -hmm. I think there there were people who were sort of convincing themselves that, sure, our traffic's down a little bit because of Facebook, but we're going to succeed. You know, the algorithm change is going to favor us, et cetera, et cetera. And it doesn't feel like it feels like a lot of that has it was just smoke that has blown away. Yeah. So happy holidays, everybody. 
there, there are things that I think are are working, but they they're so kind of one off in a way. There, they, there's nothing that seems to to suggest that you know it's going to work for everyone or or that it's a model that can kind of replace everything. So, you know, ProPublica is doing great. Yeah. Um, Texas Tribune seems to be doing pretty well. Yeah. You know, there are models that, that seem to be working. The information seems to be doing well. Mm. But but those things can't, you can't just have 50 of those, right? Yeah. They're, to some extent, they're each unique in a way. Yeah. Well, you know, you and I were talking earlier about the Guardian, the former Guardian editor, Alan Respridger, who's sort of making the rounds in Canada and the U.S. for uh, the launch of his book, uh, which is about the news business. And I heard him speak uh, yesterday, um, and he he's very bleak about all this. I mean, he he basically says he thinks the um, the future business model is a kind of nonprofit hybrid, um, and that he thinks we all need to get our heads around a new sort of corporate structure. Um, that's not based on you know for profit or shareholders or VC investors, but some new thing. I mean, he comes from a place at the Guardian that has this trust, um, mm-hmm. and I mean he he basically think, thinks that's the way it has to go for for journalism, which is um, you know it's that's that's not not great. Well, and not only that, I mean it's even even sort of a really healthy nonprofit or foundation funded or sort of rich person funded model is only going to support you know probably a tenth of the media companies that we have now yeah if you think about it like all of those companies are not going to be able to do kind of nonprofit foundation funded or subscription it's just not going to work yeah. there just aren't that many people who are going to pay so you know a lot of those companies are just going to go away yeah. regardless yeah, I mean, I think one, finally, you know, I think one possible um, sort of silver lining in all this is, and I haven't, you know, frankly, I haven't seen this yet, but I think that we, all of us who are in this business should sort of look at this moment to say, say, you know what, let's experiment. Who cares, really? <laughs> Whatever we're doing now isn't working so well. So let's try stuff. What do you, what, what's, what's an idea that you have that you've been too afraid to try or you're afraid wasn't working? <laughs> let's do that. Um, really, I mean, I think yeah. I, I think this is a moment to sort of like say, um, let's just throw whatever the orthodox views are out the window and try to engage people and do stories and to tell stories in innovative ways. Just you know, just to see what happens. That's an exciting place I, to be. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I wish there is something freeing in a way about being on a precipice or or whatever, like. Who cares? You might as well try something. It couldn't possibly get any worse. Yeah. I just feel like <clears throat> a lot of companies are they're sort of stuck. You know, they they don't have any wherewithal to do that. They're just trying to manage the decline of this business. And mm-hmm. so, you know, how many people do we need to fire this month? How many offices do we need to close? How many should we go digital only? And so they're you know, it's like a man. It's managing the death of something, instead, of, and so they don't have any time to think about sort of doing new things, which is a shame. Yeah. Well, it was great to talk to you. Thank you. <laughs> as depressing as it is. Um, speaking of experimentation, we have something at CJR called Galley, which we just launched um, a week ago, which is a sort of new way to engage with people and to have conversations about journalism that aren't 
toxic. Um, so you can download the Galley app at the App Store, or you could go online. Uh, the CJR.org website has a link to it. We'd love to see you there. Thanks for listening. We'll, we'll be back next week.